Welcome to the Recycler Podcast, our first for 2023. I'm joined today by our resident guest, Sultan Matthias of GM Technologies. Welcome, Sultan. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, Happy, Happy New, New Year, New David. Year. Glad to be back. So, 2023, the good news is we've booked two holidays over Christmas, proper holidays with sunshine and everything. Nice. So, we haven't done that for a few years. You booked it or you've done it? Booked it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's hard to have two weeks holiday a few days into January. Just wanted to, I know I'm a miracle worker, but I'm not that good. Not that good. <laughs> so it's something to be looking forward to then. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, here we go. No, I was just reading actually an IDC report about the decline in consumable shipments in Western Europe, you know, mainly on the OEM side. I understand that because there's been a growth of reuse, whether it's hardware or consumables. I mean, even IDC say in a different report that two thirds of people in their survey have used non-OEM consumables and plan to keep using them. I think that's a positive thing for the future. I mean, I think because of all the supply chain issues, they've reached out to the aftermarket and the aftermarket have delivered. So that's a good thing. You'll see that more than I do. I only get told what people tell me, but you, you actually experience it. I'm not jealous in IDC nowadays, trying to read what's happening in the market and what's affecting the volumes out there. Is it the supply chain? Is it the the, the economic turmoil? Is uh, any other limitations or is it the growth of the circular economy transformation? Is there more uptake on, on third-party remanufactured products? I think it's very hard to predict nowadays and it's very hard to read. The thing what I see is I like to call it the circular economy transformation. You know, coming from the digital transformation that everybody talked about in the last decade, it's real now. It's happening now. It's not yeah. something a lot of people still think that, oh, yeah, it's something that is going to happen. And no, it's here. It's happening. It is. A, I think it's a it's a macro trend. And I think it's now affecting the numbers across the board. You know, like IDC, they, they read the market. We, the players inside the market, we also need to read the market and we have to strategically plan for the year. We have to target the year. We all have sales targets and figures to hit. And it's getting harder and harder to understand what are the factors out there. I don't know how, yeah. how you see it, David. You speak to many people in the industry. Sure. How are they, how are they strategically planning and targeting the 23? What's the word out there? I think it depends where you are in the market. Most people are focusing on things that they can turn around quickly and make money. What you're seeing is realignment. Certainly in the last two months of last year, people were really trying to analyze not where the market is, because that's hard to predict, but actually analyzing what they sold, what actually made money, etc. And you're starting to see some realignment now in terms of focusing on products that make money, that go into strong niches, and probably being as close to the consumer of the product as possible. We saw Clover exit the European market last year, and and despite their size and everything else, they really couldn't make it work. And I attribute a lot of that to a yeah, the market forces, you know, the fact that they have to ship everything to Vietnam and back again. But I think it's more about they're supplying the channel and there may be one, two, three, possibly even four people in that channel 
mm-hmm. before the consumer gets a product. And I think that is a weakness that needs to be focused on because remanufacturers or people in the channel, whether they're a remanufacturer or a reseller that are close to the consumer, they all tell me they're doing quite well. And, you know, and when I go on their uh, public accounts information, you know, you are seeing, you know, strength there. And that's really uh, a good signpost. So I think for 2023, what you're going to see is more internal focus so that they're producing the right products at the right mm-hmm. time for the right customers rather than trying to guess where the market is because we know that chips are not so much of an issue supply chain issues are still there there are some problems with toner because of the uh, resin manufacturers that have exited the market there are still all of these things for a lot of companies now that they're, they're built in so that they're increasing their inventories etc so to take the you know the, the the peaks and troughs out of the supply chain so mm-hmm. those things are factored in so it's really about what are we doing what's making money where are we placing that in the market and yeah. rather than carrying other things then looking at the overhead so if you've got 30 people in remanufacturing but you only need 20 you're seeing you know workforce realignment which is a horrible phrase to say you know shrinking the workforce we know long term people are printing less this is the digital era that we're in equally we know reuse is a driven agenda from the european union we're already starting to see signs that that's increasing and improving and so i think that we're going to really see this internal focus positioning themselves so that as reuse grows their best position to to capitalize on it it's not rocket science you know you know on the hardware side what five eight years ago 90 percent of hardware coming off of mps leasing went outside the european union that's not the case anymore i mean there's still a lot does but you know 30 40 percent of that now is staying in the european union it's being refurbished it's what you do but it's what other companies do as well even you know the oems that are doing it on the hardware and then there's a logical progression as a business owner if you've bought refurbished hardware you probably have a mindset to buy refurbished consumables and mm-hmm. that's how the market's changed. Now, it doesn't matter who's producing those refurbished consumables, whether it's the independent sector or it's even done by the OEMs. But I think it's just going to grow and grow. Yeah, so there's so many factors. You know, back to the yeah. just circling back where we where we started. I mean, I think many of the players in the industry right now are doing some strategic planning for the year. And no secret, I've been doing that in the last two, three weeks. You know, one of the thought that came across to me that strategic planning nowadays is moving from analysis to prediction. Yeah. (laughs) What you're trying to do, and probably from development to delivery, if you're in control of your company, you have the data uh, supposedly that you need to have. You know, analyzing that data, you're trying to predict the future. You mentioned Clover here. I have huge respect for Clover for for making that decision. Because I think the biggest problem in many cases and many companies around, that there are some decisions to be made that are not being made. And they're just simply going with the flow. That's part of your strategic planning of trying to get that prediction right and make those decisions based on your predictions. And that's pretty much will define how successful you, you're going to be. And you said it's probably twofold. You have your internal focus where you need to know where you are, what your company is capable of doing, what's your production capacity, 
What's your outlook for the new year? How's your sales team? How is, what are the opportunities? Do you have data on those opportunities that your sales team is working on? That's your internal focus and you need to get this right. Yeah. Otherwise your strategic plan for the year is not going to be, uh, not going to be realistic. And then where the market goes, it's like you said, you, I think you mentioned at least eight or nine factors <laughs> in the, in your last three minutes that the, our market right now can potentially there are factors that can completely turn things upside down. Regulations from the European Union, empty availability, machine shipments from manufacturers, supply chain, secondhand machines. Uh, what's the ratio? How many new machines are being out there? I see big majority of MPS providers are doing everything they can to keep the machines as long as possible out there on the field, not to replace hardware. The, hence, we know the older the hardware out there, the more percentage that hardware is using third-party or remanufactured consumables. All these are affecting. So internal focus, yeah. how the market goes. And, you know, working on that puzzle, I also think that it's very important that more and more companies are now running their sales and, and marketing operation based on profitability. That's also a huge factor. So I think it's a lot of, uh, lot of things, but that thought of strategic planning moving from analysis to prediction, it's, yeah. it's stuck in my head. I don't know where I read it or where I've seen it, but I compare how I did targets eight years ago and how I do targets today. It's a very different game. <laughs> so I have this vision of you burning the midnight oil with spreadsheets <laughs> and then your wife comes in and gives you a crystal ball so that you can speed up the predictions. <laughs> Wish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't burn midline, mid midnight oil anymore. One of my new year resolution was related to work-life balance. Yeah. And I think to be honest now it's good that it came up. I had a conversation with a friend the other day, industry friend, obviously, and within the toner and the, and the machine discussions, I just said, I see two clear macro trends right now. Circular economy transformation, society, all this, what's going on on the news. And at the same time, I also see that work-life balance, leadership, running a company with a purpose and meaning, it gains such a center stage lately. It's, it's uh, many cases, it's part of, of, of the conversation out there. Yeah, yeah. I work life balance is true, you know. I mean, within, within the, the team that Stephanie has, you know, controlling, you know, the work that they do, et cetera, empowers people. That's the thing. I mean, I try not to work Fridays at all. And during the week, I, I figure six good hours is better than nine bad ones. And it's all of those things. It's even, you know, have you got a comfortable chair? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You're having your lunch. It, it isn't just about the hours that you're at your desk. It is about all of those things. I think that this, you know, it's some somewhat the consciousness and the transformation towards circular economy and more environmentally conscious yeah. consumption and running your business that way is is definitely related to, you know, have, looking for a better work-life balance. Now, I don't know, based on that conversation, I love numbers and I love statistics. And I don't usually make New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you do. Um, no, because by about the fifth of the month, I've already... You know, yeah. So I looked up America's top New Year's resolutions for 2023. And I have got a list. And I emailed it back to my friend after our conversation. 
and I thought to share this with you. So check this out. 52% to exercise more. 50% to eat healthier. 40% lose weight. 39% save more money. 37% spend more time with family. 20% spend less time on social media. 20% reduce stress on the job. 20% reduce spending on living expenses. So all these new resolutions are somewhat related to the quality of life that we have. Yeah, yeah. So according to this, we are not exercising enough. We don't eat healthier. <laughs> we are fat and we are spending money on useless stuff and stressing on the job. So an extreme example, uh, a good friend of mine has uh, just sold his house and he's just turned 53. Hmm. They've just sold their house in the UK. He quit his job, sold the house, and they're now going to travel around the world um, for a year uh, and decide where they're going to live and what they're going to do for the rest of their lives while they're traveling. So they had Christmas, and I think they leave in a few days' time. That's quite an extreme thing, but I know so many people now that are saying, I don't need to be in the office. I can do my the job that I'm employed to do from home, but I need to be in the office from time to time because you want that group think. I think that's rippling through into different markets. Yes, if you work in a factory, you've got to be in the factory. You can't part assemble a car in your in in in, in your kitchen. But you know, for a lot of people, you, me, others, being at home or in the office. You know, the ten- the tendency is that those factory workers, those jobs are the ones that are being replaced by robots in the highest percentage. Yeah. And more and more people are working in creative jobs, which are not necessarily, um, yeah. you know, in, in-person jobs. So I think there's, I don't know what percentage uh, we're looking at right now, but it's definitely, definitely shifting the balance. Yeah, I, I mean, low-paid, manual, high-stress mm-hmm. jobs, people are quitting them, Yeah, you know, because... They can probably earn more money with less stress or the same money with no stress or, or even more money, you know, and and that's a challenge. And those are the typically the, the jobs that are being done that will need to be automated. But some of those jobs, you know, like a care worker, really hard to automate them, you know, and part of this circular economy, this rethink, if we want a better quality of life, we also have to empower others to have a better quality of life, whatever it is they're doing. And that may mean better, better employment conditions, better pay or salary, so that it happens. But politically, I don't know if the politicians, you know, how far they're going to take circularity in terms of trade and commerce or take it more into how we live socially and, and, and fund our futures. Mm-hmm. Because the um, average young person entering the workforce doesn't want to be a, a low-paid manual worker, and I don't I'm, blame them. I'm quite curious about you know the upcoming ambiente work because I've been I've been reading a little bit into it, and I think it's centered around the future of work. Yes, and I think there will be a lot of other exhibitors, especially in the ambiente work hall or seminars and workshops that. Yeah. This is shaping our industry. I mean, at the end of the day, we are in the office printing industry and anything that happens at the workplace 
comes through our toner sales and machine sales. And, we're, we're, um, we're just a small part of the future of work. Yeah. You know, because future of work is, you know, it's people. It's how you work. It's where you work. It's a technology to enable work. And somewhere in all of that, you know, print, sustainable print is, is a key factor. And, and again, this isn't, you know, aftermarket versus OEM market or anything like this. This is about, you know, the big picture stuff, how the whole market will change and evolve under the future of work umbrella. And we're just a small part of that. Ambiente with the Riemann Expo part of it, that's full, that's sold out. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. There's a huge audience going to be there for the Riemann Expo element. This is probably a whole new sector of people that there are over 5,000 exhibitors alone and probably, I'll be conservative, over 100,000 visitors, all of which will use a printer and consumables but are not necessarily aware of exactly what we do, how we do it, etc. It's a whole new opportunity to talk to an audience, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's good. And I think that you know the first show will be a game changer for people. You know, I'm sure there are going to be people that come to the show and say, "This is amazing! I want to be part of this." Mm-hmm. And there are going to be people that come to the show and say, "I don't know where we fit," but that's okay. It's something new, so it will evolve. And the the second show and the third show will be will all all evolve. And for us, I think that's that's the exciting thing. We're at the start of a new journey. Yeah, I mean, it's I I don't know about you, but I think it's about the fifteenth, let's say, Remax paper where they're now called Ambient Trade Show that I'm doing. <laughs> and I know that you also know as well as I do that. Whoever you asked in the last five, six years, they said, the show is great. We love to network. We always have the same faces. It's becoming a networking event and we see our clients and we see our suppliers and it's great. We get together. It's fantastic. Lots of opportunities. Now, I think it's going to be very different. Now we have a chance to have lots of newcomers that you rightly say, probably not even aware of Rayman Expo, it's not even aware that <laughs> that uh, they can convert their printing more more uh, sustainable and and at the same time save costs. Yeah. And I think that's where that's where the opportunity is. Exactly, exactly. That's a great opportunity. Again, you know, that sustainability message is one that you know has resonance. There will always be a, a price-driven segment in the market, but. At the end of the day, whatever it is you're buying, whether it's a, a new shirt or um, a car or even a meal in a restaurant, everything is a, a combination of what you want, what you need and what you can afford. Mm. Whether it's a printing consumable or, or buying a house, that's always a factored decision, except for the super wealthy who can buy whatever it is they want, even if they don't need it. And you're right, you know, it is a great networking opportunity and yes we do see the same faces uh, but we also see uh, new people and that's the challenge because I tell this story quite often but you know you have to keep across your customers and who they are because at, at the magazine Steph tells me you know the number of people that are exiting 
the, the market and the number of new people that are signing up for newsletters and things like that. You know, and you have to be across that because, you know, if, if you're one of your key contacts has exited the industry and you don't know about it because they've signed a non-disclosure or something like that or a non-compete and you're not across that, you come to the show and say, oh, Fred wasn't here. Well, you're yeah. right, he's not here, but it, his replacement was here. Oh, I didn't know who my, who's a replacement. And my pet hate spreadsheets. <laughs> Really, spreadsheets. No CRM, no data gathering to inform your decision making, etc. Back to what I said at right at the beginning. Your analysis, your analytics are need to be turned into predictions, and you only can do that if you have the right data. If you do not have the right data, I'm sorry, but this is irresponsible nowadays. It's not. There are no excuses for yeah. not having the right data if you're running the business. When you were talking about Ambiente, it, it come to me, obviously I talk to people outside of this industry as well sometimes, and they say nowadays, either you reduce your printing or you print more, envi more environmentally friendly. Not doing anything is not really an option. So when it comes to running your business and planning your year or managing your sales team, looking at your customer base, not having the data or not looking at the data or working on outdated data, it's really a no excuse because nowadays the data is there. You just need to do something about it. People exiting market. I see this every day. I actually have alerts set up. It's a very simple thing. Looking at my system and say, if there's a contact and there's more than 10 or 15 emails interaction has been done before, and all of a sudden the email starts bouncing, I have an alert set up on those contacts to look yeah. what's going on with that contact. And nine cases out of 10, the guy either changed position, left the company, yeah. and we have to update the record on those companies and I need to get into get in touch with the, with the person who manages that account. But you need to know. <laughs> if you don't yeah, know, that's exactly. not working. The thing is, when you send out a marketing email, that email bounces. So you say, oh yeah, we send out 10,000, but it's 9,500 banks. That's sort of a waste of money, but at the same time, it makes your open rate and your click-through rate look terrible. Yeah. Whereas, actually, if you just email to the 500, your open rate goes up mm. and your click-through rate goes up and it's more realistic. But when you're doing it from spreadsheets, it's like chaos. Yeah. You, you yeah. need a proper CRM to do that, really yeah. do. Yep, 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 absolutely. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Did you read the um, article we published about, can you phone someone for me? Yeah, I loved it. I <laughs> smiled right right through the reading. I said, yes, I know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I definitely know this guy. But, yeah. you know, let's, let, the, the typical question, do you prefer 1 million data or, or 100,000 in your database with a 2% open rate or you prefer 500 raving fans to your company who's ready to buy your, your product? The reality is that 500 are, are your gold and the rest are time consuming. Because if you focus on your 500, generically you will grow that audience because that 500 will be satisfied and they will talk to people, they will share and you will, you will build that audience generically, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's the key. But you can't delete the ones that are um, not responding because you actually have to go through and validate them. You know, is the company still in business? Where's that person? You know, and so unfortunately, 
you do need a, a data researcher to start doing that for you. The problem I see there that, you know, when you when you explain that to someone is like, wow, this is a lot of work. We don't have time for this. And this is crazy. How am I going to do that? I spoke to countless companies and I'm sure you, you also do that the regular picture is they have a database of about 5,000 contacts and they have an active customers of less than 200. Yeah. And they say, yeah, we have a huge database. I'm not going to revise it. It's a huge work. They, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And yeah, but what we do have a huge, huge database. We send out our newsletter to 5,000 contacts. You know, you, you're operating since five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years with less than 200 active, active customers in your your company it's something to think I, about i actually think if you haven't interacted with somebody in five years you should be actively considering taking them out of your database because they're probably not trading or not interested or whatever you know i'm not saying it's a hard delete but you you really gotta segment them out, you know, because, them out. Exactly. i mean i've got a, a letter here so i'm partially deaf and every couple of years i go and get my hearing tested now, because of COVID, I didn't get that appointment. So I've just got a letter now saying, look, Mr. Connett, you know, you need to come in for a hearing test and make an appointment because we're coming up to five years and it's our policy to take customers off of the, the mailing list after five years if there's been no engagement, which I think is a, it's a good thing because it's prompted me to make an appointment. Yeah, and get him. But yes, a big list is just a big list. It's what you do with it that's important. You know, like you say, 5,000 on the list and 200 active customers. You actually need to drive 4,800 customers because it's actually easier to bring back a dormant customer than it is and cheaper than to go out and find a new customer. And that starts with data validation, which is a boring topic. But, you know, there are lots of tools out there where you can search domains and yeah that's a valid domain you can search find active emails on a domain and there's all sorts of online tools that you can use for that and but it needs somebody dedicated to it that's for it's, sure yeah it's taking the time to slicing it up and, yeah. and working piece by piece yeah there's a spanish saying that i never could translate to english <laughs> but funny enough the spanish here say piece by piece we can eat an elephant Yes. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if this exists in English. I know there's something very similar in English. You know, you know, you've got this big cake and you just eat it one slice at a time. But you have to, you you have have to start to do eating. It. Within our organization, we have we have somebody that their role is data validation. You know, it's about it's about organ organizing. I've, yeah. You know, we all all companies have sales teams. All sales yeah. teams have account managers. All those account managers have either countries assigned to them or territories assigned to them. They all have databases. So you have to individually work with each one of them to look after his own. Yeah. Obviously, I'm talking from the traditional sales organization of a B2B yeah. manufacturer, but this is the setup. That's that's how it has to be done. Well, that's a big conversation we covered there. Well, my friend, there we go. Sure. Another hour and 10 minutes of chatting. Awesome. Very good. So, See you in uh, Ambiente. It's going to be very quick. And I have another quick trip. It's going to be quick. And here's yeah. an insight for you. I'm I'm quite surprised about how my calendar looks like. Yeah. It's filling quite quickly. And it's very surprising to see the profiles are, you know, like probably people 
have a, I don't know, after two years, they want to come to a face-to-face event because I saw people I did not expect to book a meeting. I'm the same. I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit apprehensive when they said Ambiente was going to be five days. Yes, me too. And I suggested that the uh, seminar program should only be over three days. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually really glad now because my Friday and my Tuesday are full. Okay. All right, my friend, thank you very much. Thanks, David, always a pleasure. See you again soon. Yep. Bye, bye-bye.